Greetings. It gives me tremendous pleasure to introduce you to the second episode of If These Walls Could Talk, a strictly DLMVD production. My name is Jeremy Newton. By day, I am the head of agency business at DLMVD, a sonic branding agency based in London. And by night, I'm a music obsessive, a DJ and a lover of history, amongst other things. Having been born and raised in London, I've always been fascinated and inspired by this city's contribution to music and culture. So much has taken place here that has affected and galvanised so many. Scenes from rave to rock and roll, from jazz to jungle, from punk to grime and everything in between. There is undoubtedly something in the somewhat polluted air that enables musicians and people to create, thrive and express themselves with an authenticity and a swagger in a way that is unique and original to London. The aim of this podcast is to try and delve into this energy through its iconic music venues. The focus is to showcase and celebrate these spaces and unearth the narrative, the personalities and anecdotes that have contributed to a venue's legend. In contrast to our first episode that celebrated over 60 years of Ronnie Scott's, today we are delving into a space that although established in 2016, has quickly cemented itself as one of London's premier music destinations and is synonymous with audio quality and a space that was built upon a deep love of music and the culture that surrounds it in its many forms. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spiritlands. And with that in mind, it gives me tremendous pleasure to introduce sound engineer, radio producer, and the founder of Spiritland, Mr. Paul Noble. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Welcome along, sir. What an intro. <laughs> yeah, I know, it was a bit <laughs> rambly, but we got there in the end. So I hope you kind of got an idea of what we're trying to do. No, I mean, from Ronnie's to Spiritland. That's, yeah, that's uh, it, yeah. High, high praise. <laughs> You're on the list. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Before we kind of get into the birth of Spiritland, it'd be really interesting to get an idea and an insight into your journey, into your personal journey as like a sound engineer, as a DJ and a music lover. And ultimately how that informs the the ethos of Spiritland. So if we take it all the way back, so am I right in assuming you grew up in, in North London? How what I mean, what gives you that idea? <laughs> Is it that obvious? Is that obvious? Another fellow North Londoner. Exactly. We need the brackets, don't we? Yeah, I grew up in North London and in a quite a musical family. Right, okay. Everyone plays instruments. Okay. My uncle uh wrote a musical or wrote a few musicals. Okay. In terms of the record collection, there was like Crosby, Stills and Nash and maybe Joni Mitchell. Me and my brother, my younger brother, we both got really into Pink Floyd and that spread to the rest of Prog, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath and then The Cure and The Smiths and the current stuff. And then I basically discovered hip hop and that was it. That was my sort of ground zero. All all guitars were banned and it it (laughs) it all went very hip hop for a long time. And then you know beyond after that just everything else right okay so was hip-hop your introduction to kind of like djing is that when you, uh, you began kind of yeah i mean i didn't a dj you know probably only seen one at a bar mitzvah no right, actual okay. going to a club and seeing a dj wasn't anything that happened to the until later but yeah i mean that was that all started kind of 16 17 and okay cool going to a few clubs in london nice one so we're here we're live at Spiritland. There's an incredible sound system here. And my, my assumption, and it may be totally wrong, is that somebody who has set up a venue that hosts a world-class living voice sound system is, is like rooted in high fidelity. Was sound and audio quality always something that was prevalent growing up in the house? Did that influence you further along the line with regards to Spiritland? Or um, was that something that came later? I mean, we had a sort of normal sound system of like Pioneer and Sansui, and there was, right. not, it's not, there was nothing crazy going on at home. But I, you know, heard powerful sound systems in clubs uh and then i my first job was at the bbc as a sound engineer okay. so 
I was in BBC Studios where the sound is very referency. Right. So it's sort of Rogers speakers, quad amps. It's like as flat as possible. So if you're adding EQ or processing the sound in any way, you can hear what you're doing rather than, you know, there's speakers out there which are really flattering but don't actually give you the true representation of what you're recording. Then I, you know, my ears got used to the BBC sound. Right. And then I was just on my own sort of personal audio journey of discovery where i had you know it was all it was all vintage stuff so it was um jbl uh, lots of jbl right. speakers and old solid state amps and then i started getting into quad quite heavily and then cyrus and then lynn and sort of the modern british stuff right and then started going to audiophile fairs which is where it gets really nerdy and really... Is that whilst you were still at the BBC? No, no, this is some time after. Okay. Um, but this was just my own sort of... I had a sound system. I was like, oh, maybe it's the, you know, maybe it's the interconnects. So right. I changed my interconnects and maybe it's the power supply. So just start swapping everything out. Um, and then I went to a fair in Munich called High End, where it's just room after room of really ridiculous esoteric hi-fi gear. And some people selling speakers, some people selling the sources. Um, and I heard a pair of speakers or I heard a whole setup from a company called Living Voice. Right. Who are based in Nottingham, just in Long Eaton, just outside Nottingham. Uh, and completely, I was like, well, this is this is the end of the road. This is the sound I've been looking for. It was so... It's like the revelationary moment. Yeah, I just hadn't heard anything like it. It was really detailed. It was really... Um, it's like a... I mean, we talk about this system. It's like a time machine. Right. You sort of take, you're suddenly in the studio and over there is the sax and over there is the tambourine. And, you know, I'm talking about with older recordings where it was recorded in quite a simple way, sort of big band stuff from the 50s or, you know, like some of the early Neil Young stuff. It's like really minimal miking. Okay. But um, you just suddenly, you can picture the room it's recorded in. Um, I got, talking and i got friendly with kevin and lynn who run the company and just explained to them you know i'd had this idea for a listening space called Spiritland. okay it was the germ of an idea then and they said yeah we you know we're interested we'd love to be involved and that's what ended up with them being our audio partners in the first incarnation of Spiritland, which was a restaurant called merchant's tavern in i Shoreditch. remember it yeah so that was in october 2014 so we're coming up on 10 years from that now so they designed the system for that space? No. That was a pair of speakers from Tannoy, and they loaned a pair of amps from Canary. Right, okay. Um, so they were sort of advising, but we didn't have, you know, the, that, that, was the, that was the toe in the water to see if okay, there was any fine. interest in what yeah, we were yeah, doing. Sure. So that was, they loaned us the amps and, you know, came and gave the system the blessing, but Tannoy gave us the speakers, and they were a great big pair of Westminster's sort of right, okay. head height speakers. It was supposed to be a three-month pop-up. It ended up running for two years. It was our flag in the sand of saying, this okay, is what cool. we're about. Yeah. Yes, there's DJs. No, there isn't a dance floor. They're playing everything. It's not. It's a, it's more of a listening experience than a clubbing experience. And the interest in that gave us the confidence to go and look for a full-time site. Brilliant. So just going back to, to the root of the idea, hmm. where did the inspiration come from? The whole listening bar kind of experience is a relatively like new phenomena to London like only the last kind of 10 15 years yeah. has been been that prevalent really it all came from Japan and from my trips over there where there's a you know a really long deep tradition of these listening bars or kiss attenders they're called in Japan 
where it's usually all vinyl. Right. It's usually one person runs the whole place and it's their record collection. They're playing the music. They're making the drinks. Usually a man, lots and lots of jazz, but there's also, uh, they're, they're divided by genre. So there could be a country and Western bar, could be a classical music bar, could be a sort of soft rock AOR bar. And I just, spending time out there, I was going to sort of one place after another and just absolutely in heaven. Amazing. They don't feel like spirit land in that they're generally really small. It could be 10 seats. There's often a cover charge. So already the stage is set, like you're going there to listen. It's it's close to going to the cinema and they'll play an album start to finish. So it's not really anything to do with DJ culture and club right. culture as we know it. And some will be even built around a record label or an artist. Lots of them are named after artists. It's a level of excellence and integrity that to reproduce in London with the sort of London energy. Yeah. And, you know, we're what are we? We're a cafe during the day. We're a Barton, right? We've got an outstanding sound system and an amazing program of people playing. But there's 70 seats in here. You put 70 people in here talking, drinking, having a good time the sound levels are going to go up. So, uh, you know, that's been one of our sort of challenges is how to, like, maintain the promise of what we do and the, a listening experience and come and hear this amazing hi-fi with Zabartican yeah. Hangout in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Quite a delicate line to to tread. Yeah, yeah. In a, and it must be in a, in, in a few respects. Yeah, we, you know, I've been in places in Japan where we've been thrown out. For talking? Yeah, too loud. Well, you know. With Australians, they right, were being, okay. they were, you know, <laughs> being inappropriate. It so yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, they're they're doing something really specific, and you've got to behave or you're out. And I, you know, I love that, but I'm not going to throw anyone out of here for. Yeah, I don't know how laughing. compatible that would be with with London energy. No, I mean it's they're, they're two just, different things. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an influence here, but we've also, I mean, I wouldn't say strayed. We've also kind of headed into club territory and right. dance floor territory and. Uh, in our other venue, which we opened and then shut four years later at the Royal Festival. We Royal used Festival to do, Hall, yeah. We did um, club nights the whole time, initially once a month, then once a week after lockdown. So, you know, that was the starting point, but it goes off into all sorts of other directions, retail, food and drink, yeah, talks, yeah, yeah. events. Yeah, I mean, that, that trip to Japan sounds really interesting. Japan fascinates me on, on numerous levels. I've never been, but I'd love to go. But particularly in terms of, like, how I interpret their consumption of music hmm. and and how it's listened to and that dedication to kind of like quality of the highest respect i mean it's not just music that it's consumed with with those kind of principles in mind it's a totally fascinating country and there's a, a sort of japanese approach to like you say to all sorts of things it could be retail it could be old age homes yeah, it could yeah, be yeah. roadworks obviously trains yeah yeah yeah. how long were you over there for and were there like multiple trips hmm there were multiple trips. I used to work for a company called Monocle. Right. Which, oh, the the magazine. Yeah. So it was a magazine, and I was involved in the radio station. We had studios in Japan, so I was going there quite a bit. We had a bureau there as well. So right. there were lots of trips, and then there was a long five-week trip where I went all around the country. And um, and was that prior to the, the Merchant's Tavern? Yeah, yeah. That was really the inspiration for it. You know, it's sort of that set the idea in motion of... I'm a music nut. Yeah. So are all my friends. We all work in the music world. When you go out in London, your options are the big venues. Or bars. Or bars, where everyone's kind of playing the same yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. 
and everyone's got their inner musical life. You know, my my home listening could be chamber pop, Venetian early loop music, right? Heavy metal, Pet Shop Boys. What, quite, like, quite an eclectic just, spread. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind yeah. of, and it is. It's like it's everything. I mean, I'm interested in everything, and I listen to it all. Yeah, but it's just me on my own at home in front of a pair of speakers, and then you go out to clubs, and there's a sort of house techno, drum and bass, you know, heavy electronic stuff. And then there's, you go to a bar and it's like jazz, funk, soul, or some variant of that. And that's all good by me. And I play all of that. I have played all of that stuff as a DJ down the years. But also, I'm interested in completely esoteric music. Yeah. I'm, interested, I'm really interested in pop music. I'm really interested in classic rock, you know, from sort of the Beatles onwards. Yeah. So where is there in London where you can go and celebrate and explore all of that stuff? Basically, without a dance floor, I can say to you, come play here for a few hours. You don't need to get anyone moving. You can play as low tempo as you want, or you can play as obscure as you want. That's a really interesting proposition like from the DJ's point of view, because one would delve a little bit deeper into their collections and play stuff that is a little bit slept on for that purpose, but you're not there to, to make people dance. No. And... um yeah it just kind of opens the doors to all sorts of different musical worlds and when we opened and i was booking djs and i was like do what you want play yeah. what you want everyone's like i'm gonna play some field recordings right, I'm gonna, okay, uh, yeah, and yeah. i was like not yet what, what come, the, come what's back the most obscure stuff that people have played here well my friend jim stanton from horsemeat disco right. who kind of plays house and disco amazing party stuff at weekends we're both really into butthole surfers. Okay. Who are the sort of hardcore group. And he played locust abortion technician. If there was a dance floor, he would have cleared it. So right. that, but that's a Fortunately there's not. There isn't. I mean that's 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 a that's an example of how kind of extreme you can go. We're not experimental for the sake of it. We're very into musicianship right. and craftsmanship. You know, there's other places where you can go and hear experimental and stuff that will fry your brain. And that's all good. That's not really what we do. It's usually a bit more melodic, and right. we actually play lots of Fleetwood Mac, The Cure, and The Doors, and you know, all, like sort of household names, yeah. but actually revisiting their back catalogues. You know, someone like Prince, Bowie, it goes on forever. You'll never get to the bottom of what they've done. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then there's Kate Bush and Prefab Sprout, and you know, all these people who you know the name, you could probably name five singles from them, but they've got huge bodies of work which go off in every direction that's what we're about brilliant going a little bit deeper mm. amazing so going back to the actual system mm. and the creation of that system firstly how did you find the space and was the system built around the space the system wasn't built around the space but we had the space before we designed the system right, okay. so you know speakers of that size wouldn't work in a, a smaller room or even a much bigger room the space came about when we we're running out of Merchant's Tavern. We looked at lots of different spaces all over London, and it was a bit of a soul-searching exercise of, you know, should we be in Soho with huge rent, loads of foot traffic, or would, do we want to be much further out in a bigger space, lower rent, really destinational, so people have to visit? To As in, to... like, a Zone 2 or Zone yeah. 3 destination? Yeah, yeah. you know, we, do we go to Walthamstow yeah, yeah, or yeah. Tottenham or Dalston? And then King's Cross, we got talking to the team here who this was, you know, it didn't look like this when we moved in. We opened in 2016. So Cold Drops Yard opposite was yep. still being built. People would come to us and say, I'm at Dishoom, but the, the road just ends and I right. can't, where are you? And we're like, just keep walking, we're there. So we had to 
in the early days we had to sort of pull people in with our programming before it was the area was as busy as a as it is now but king's cross is a transport hub yeah. for train rail canals eurostar everything else but also there is a musical heritage, heritage here i mean bagley's which, was yeah just obviously ba- corner, i mean bagley's was opposite and the cross yeah the Keith. cross yeah. there's a lot of like, uh, cl- like club culture was yeah. very prominent here in the 80s and 90s also it was a very very different place Oh, it was really shady. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. um it was like red light districts and Yeah, it was like the all Wild sorts West to go on, yeah. But also, you know, there were musicians and record labels and stu- you know, some studios. So, you know, we're not recreating it, but it's there's something. But there's a legacy there. There's a legacy. There's there. a legacy there. A, a club culture legacy and also kind of that's that's in it's consistent with what Spiritland are trying to do musically, yeah. I guess, in a, yeah. in a lot of respects. Prince played at Bagley's. Did he really? He did. I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you see it? No. That would have been one to go to. No, I didn't. Have you ever seen Prince? Did yeah. you ever see Prince? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, that, many times. That was on the, on the bucket list. Oh, but. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the creation of the actual sound system and, and your role in that process. And also, what was the name of the company again? Living uh, Voice. Living Voice. Yeah. So they're flagship speakers called the Vox Olympian. It's in similar territory as in there's a, you know, one cabinet, one part of the system is doing the high end and right. one is the subwoofer. Uh, as we have here so there's four cabinets you know a great big sub handling the low end and then everything else does above that their speakers are you know so extraordinarily beautiful they're using rare woods they're using gold finishes even the sort of binding posts on the back are just exquisite aesthetically it doesn't work with what we're doing at Spiritland. what i've learned is bars and restaurants everything gets trashed it's in such high use a chair out there will be sat on thousands and thousands of times so Everything just kind of is all got to be bomb-proof. Or if it's nice, you've got to be, re- you know, ready to replace it. So really, a pair of speakers like that, you know, the, the drivers are open. You can sort of go and, I'm not encouraging you, but one could go and touch the, the drivers on the subs. Really, there should be a grill on the front so no one can get to it. But it looks gorgeous. We don't want to put a grill on it. So we designed it with a sort of nod to Japan and the, the solid-state amps of the 70s and 80s where you had a, a thick wooden lip we didn't want rosewood and sort of shiny finishes we wanted something quite slightly industrial looking and something a bit sort of solid state and actually if you look at the subs from afar and in photos it could be a pair of bookshelf speakers you don't realize how big they are till you're in the room with them yeah, the so, sense of perspective is is a little bit skewed like yeah. you say until you're in the room yeah you know building a pair of speakers and i can't speak on it really authoritatively because it's a you know it's a world of physics and maths and internal geometry but there's the cabinets the drivers and then the crossover which is where the magic happens where the frequencies are split up into what's doing the mid what's doing the top um and these speakers they're basically the same spec as the flagship living voice speakers yeah i mean come and hear them i can't i can talk about them forever but they um they present the music in a a really clear way now that means you can play stuff that you've heard hundreds of times before you know i don't know the eagles or bowie whatever and suddenly you hear him like i don't like let a good example is stairway to heaven by led zeppelin which is like built into our Mm -hmm. musical dna it's got synths all over it and you wouldn't know that until you hear it on high-end equipment and similarly motown and northern soul and old soul stuff mm-hmm. it's so badly recorded not all of it obviously but it's it was designed and cut to 
be heard on a tiny on a mono, seven inch or forty five, yeah, yeah, seven yeah, inch, yeah. Or, or you know, on a car speaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. So an eight track or yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of these recordings are really flat, or people will bring it in on their you know their seven inch record collection, which has been hammered. It's been played hundred. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So it's a it's a very revealing system. So if if someone plays on a low quality recording on a record, mm. will it enhance it or will it? No, it will. It'll be sounds, the opposite, right? No, it yeah, sounds yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. If it's if it's really crackly, you can get away with it in a sort of basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pair of speakers on the wall system. No, this sounds Walks terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and similarly, MP3s. You know, you they're fine for on the tube on headphones, but you can't to chuck away ninety percent of the sound and just present that little band of sound that you get from an MP3. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can hear it, and I'm sort of quite sensitive of like we've put all the work into building the system don't come and play compressed music that's that's kind of our only right, okay. requirement so people could play like wavs or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. With, it's with, not just the vinyl only not at all and from the start kind of, yeah we sort of got um tagged as a vinyl only bar because there are a few places who do that but we've got cdjs yeah right we've got high res you can play flax you can play reel to reel it's not the vinyl is um it's just another medium so touching on some of the DJs that have played here, obviously people like Dennis Pavel, Norman Jay, Francois K, like mm. household names to music lovers. But what are the most memorable DJ sets that you've witnessed here where kind of the magic has come together? I mean, I know it's kind of like Son's dance floor in the yeah. King's Cross venue, but in Festival Hall as well. Where Well, the Royal Festival Hall, we had, um, we just really punched above our weight in terms of the names. Yeah, the it's lineups own... were, the, were, were exceptional, yeah. The lineups were great, and we had 250 capacity, but names who would generally play in much bigger, bigger spaces. Venues. I don't know, to pick out some names from random. So Quantic played, who I've always loved as a producer. He's an amazing DJ as well. He's an and, incredible DJ, yeah. And, um, you know, it's sort of the sound will go from kind of R&B to Latin. Couldn't be to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually bumped into him randomly. I got a bit starstruck, actually, in a record shop in New York. Right. I turned around and I was like, that's Quantic, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's also, yeah. he's always digging. Yeah, he's yeah, always yeah, looking yeah. for stuff. But it was the week before lockdown, and it was really, it was coming. You know, who knew which, where any of this was going to go. But there was go. something there was something yeah. imminently. And he got, I think, like one of the last flights. I think he played and then was on a flight the day out. Oh, wow. Back to New York that's kind of in mind as a like a particularly dramatic one um and then we had you know my people who i would like consider musical heroes danny Crivet, who's and and francois k who was sort of you could put them together they are body and soul i actually i, I was telling you off, off air but i booked a ticket to see danny Crivet. Mm. it was like april 2020 mm. and then i couldn't obviously it got cancelled because of covid that one got pulled i remember <laughs> i remember getting an email from someone saying um you know we had tickets to this Danny show can you let me know when it's rescheduled for I'm like absolutely let me just let me just crack <laughs> this Boris, vaccine yeah. and, uh, um, you know calling into the pandemic but I mean in terms of like running a live venue that must have been a, ve- a very like challenging and uncertain period oh I mean the whole thing anywhere well it was disastrous for everyone yeah, yeah, there yeah. wasn't there's no one who kind of came out of that well but particularly hospitality and then when we opened it was tests on the door and yeah. NHS, yeah, someone called me a Nazi for asking for their uh, <laughs> test, their you know their status on the line. Like, look, I'm not. That's not what you need. <laughs> 
Firstly, I'm not a Nazi. Yeah. Thank you very much. But also, like, you know, none of us want to be here. Yeah, I don't yeah, be yeah. asking people to... Yeah. Anyway, fun and games. That was kind Sorry of... Sorry to ev- revisit trauma. Everyone, everyone lost their bits, didn't they, during the time? You know, when we opened, so, it was into, like, a r- very different London and very yeah. different world, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because also, this, where we were on the South Bank, the South Bank shut entirely, and they didn't open between the two big lockdowns. Right. There wasn't, like, the alfresco, like, there wasn't Soho. No. So just to kind of backtrack, obviously there's the, the King's Cross base, but mm. then there was the Spiritland Royal Festival Hall venue, mm. which closed at the start of 2023. And that was a more kind of like dance floor, well, club it was, night orientated space. It was it, with that premise. It wasn't initially. It was more It was more of a restaurant. So it had a great big kitchen. And we sort of did what we did here, which is in quite a small space in a wider, a much wider setting. Uh, you know, it was in a different reality without COVID. Could have been a different story, but... We got hit by COVID along with everyone else. It went to the wall. We, you know, we all yeah, had a yeah. good time, but um, we did a lot of amazing stuff in there. We did. We also, the other side of what we do here is lots of work with the music industry. So we do album launches. We've done them for Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, yeah. Beck, Pharrell, Beach Boys. Madness. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. all sorts. So um, we did some fantastic ones at the Royal Festival. We did one for Leonard Cohen, which was his final album, which he basically recorded on his deathbed. Wow. And then there was a message from his son. Uh, sorry, his son came and introduced it and played a message which Leonard Cohen re- had recorded sort of not long before he died, basically saying, you know, it's been an amazing life. Thank you all for coming with me over the journey. It was phenomenal. Unbelievable. Just too much, you know, emotion in the room. On a totally different angle, we did a John Legend launch and, you know, he is the smoothest guy in the world and he came in and it was all, it was a fan event. So... Everyone was just, you know, creaming themselves yeah, to be course. around John Legend and he's such a pro and um, played the album and sang a bit. and Yeah, so we we did some really good stuff there, but, I, you know, I've sort of said goodbye, yeah, left yeah. it. It's, it's, it's in the past. Then wasn't is, to is, me. Is there like another kind of more dance floor orientated space that's kind of in the offering or, or has the potential to kind of... Yeah, we're, we're looking, you know, we're trying to... There's there's lots of spaces available in London that the sort of hospitality world has just taken sort of such a kicking from covid and brexit you know you have to brexit as well yeah of course yeah so you have to be careful about what you do um but yeah we'd love to do that and do you think like the hospitality industry in london is kind of like obviously it's taken a kicking from brexit and covid do you think that it's kind of like finding its feet again Uh, in terms of i mean it feels like there's a lot of venues kind of popping up and i mean i don't know with with what success but do you feel like yeah uh it's you're hopeful for the future i'm hopeful i mean you know we do several different things um spirit land is you know and this venue is one side of it which is a cafe a bar the studio we're sitting in is the other side of the business so we have a production company and in, in this studio we do podcasts for all sorts of people some you know they're generally like white label you you may not even know they're coming from spirit land but they could be for the BBC or Google or YouTube or Spotify. And that business has been like really sort of resilient and actually, you know, increased throughout lockdown and beyond. I mean, it's, it feels weird talking about lockdown in 2024, but we're all still in the sort of post-lockdown effect. So, for example, January, which was traditionally a quiet month, you just sort of basically like everyone's... Dry Jan. Dry Jan, they're sober, skin. they're skint. They're teetotal, they're on a diet, whatever they're doing. That, the last few years, has just not happened because everyone's like, well, we could be shut down again tomorrow. So um, January's have been kind of 
fine, quite busy. Do you know what's going to be really interesting is in like 10 or 15 years when people do like psychological studies and analysis of that whole period of time to see kind of what the patterns are mm. and the things that were set into process as a result of that period, yeah. which we, we don't really know the effects of it now because we're kind of just, like you say, in the immediate aftermath of it. I think so, well, so many people, it was a chance to sort of really look at your life. Am I doing what I'm doing? And then people like ricocheted off onto all sorts of different yeah. business worlds yeah, or yeah, locations yeah. or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people didn't as well. Yeah, a lot of people just carried on. No, <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was like a day of reckoning. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but we're here, we're through we're it. Here. It's we're 2024. Here. Going back to the DJs, like, obviously, as a DJ yourself and as someone who's been part of, you know, London club culture for... 20 30 years what would be your ideal dream week programming of djs oh living or dead living or dead <laughs> uh putting you on the spot here yeah i mean really it's a lot of the people who've been playing amazing already and what we've done and and the sort of the way that we've done it just means that we've found our people and and the, you know they've sort of naturally gravitated to us so for example we've been doing parties in Lisbon in the last year taking over warehouse spaces booking DJs and they're all people who we've worked with previously so the first three were Bill Brewster Maurice Fulton and Jimster and they're all sort of you know incredibly musical versatile they're just killer DJs who can read a room and take it into outer space I love Bill Brewster's book last night DJ saved my life that's a great book Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah And he was the first person to play at Spiritland. Right. Right back when he's a sort of old, old friend and collaborator. So, um, yeah, they're people who we've worked with. There's people who I have, you know, my, like, personal obsessions with. I love Toa Tay, who was in Delight years ago. Oh, right. He may still even be in Delight, though. I think they're done. As in Grooves in the Heart. As Grooves in the Heart. There's, you know, Jazzy Jeff, who I absolutely love, still haven't got around to booking him but he is kind of he'll, he'll, he does he'll be here one day yeah. he'll be here one day yeah. you know it will happen he's not like untouchable yeah, yeah. um musically and as he, in, comes, as in, he comes across pretty down to earth as well yeah approachable. Yeah. yeah and i've yeah. seen you know he's and he he's a phenomenal DJ. he's incredible <laughs> yeah, yeah. and he does that thing of you know he's a turntablist and he can do every trick in the book but he's all about the dance floor he, just plays, the, the he plays the bangers yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll keep the party going um and then there's you know, there's people like Jane Fitz, who's played for us a few times, who plays, you know, really quite out there and experimental techno, but with it's it's funky and it's groovy and it doesn't sort of get lost in a in a hole. So yeah, I mean, how, how does like electronic music of that ilk stand up on the system? Oh, it I sounds phenomenal. It sounds wicked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. This isn't a club system. So if you're looking for that really pulverizing, body moving, nice. low end, it's not there. It's not. It's just not that system. It's like a giant hi-fi. So when you start to get to those volumes, the top end is it's just too intense. Right. So, you know, on a club system, you take the top right down so you can turn the bass up so the whole room's shaking. So what's next for Spiritland? I mean, obviously, the 10-year anniversary is coming up. We may as well celebrate our 10-year anniversary because we're it's a, still It's here. a big achievement, particularly in hospitality as well. Yeah, and it's... um. You know, it feels like we've done so much in that time. But when we'll you probably started do. In, at the Merchant's Tavern, if mm. someone had said in 10 years' time, you'll have a space in King's Cross, there'll be a production arm, 
you know, yeah. all of those other things that have kind of happened as a result of, of building this space. Yeah. I hope, I mean... I'm sure you would have been <laughs> I w- satisfied in some respects. Yeah, I would have been, I would have been really happy. Yeah. I mean, I hope they would have happened. You know, there's lots of sites available. There's lots of properties out there, but they're available because other people have gone bust yeah. and the landlords need to rent them out. So it's about being reasonably clever and strategic about where you open and what you open. For the 10-year anniversary, we'll do a sort of greatest hits of all the kind of things we do. So there'll be some supper clubs, there'll be some parties, we'll probably do some album listening playback sessions, which we've done a few of, which uh, we've only done them really as, uh, you know, with the record labels as private hires, but we'll maybe do some which are free or ticketed or whatever, but like just come and listen to an album, turn the lights way down, and it's a sort of, it's like watching a film. They're always good fun. Um, And then we'll do some talks with some of our friends and collaborators who knows but there's i don't want to say watch this space but we're you know we're working on this stuff in the park yeah we're working on some other stuff brilliant well paul thank you so much for your time no problem Uh, it's been really interesting and really insightful and uh yeah wish you every success for the next 10 years cheers jeremy brilliant thanks man 